Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast, recorded on May 11th, 2020. How's it going? Thanks for checking this one out. Finished up that uh, that camping trip I was doing up the, the mountain creek there in the Cascades uh, a couple days ago. What was that, like Wednesday? I think it was like uh, maybe like Tuesday Tuesday night to Wednesday morning. I think that was the super moon that was coming up that night, if I remember right. And, uh, and that was pretty cool. It was cool to see the full moon up there. And they always talk about the super moon, which is kind of a, I don't know, it's a little bit of a misnomer, but it, it's cool to see, too. I think they talk about it happening every six months or so. Really, it's just kind of the oscillation of a bit of the eccentricities in the orbit of the moon that make it, I think, about 25,000 miles closer at its maximum, and then maybe about 25,000 miles further away at its distant maximum. But uh, I think it's really only like a little bit of a sliver larger than it normally would be. If you notice, though, it's a thing I learned way back, and I think that they, they show it in a scene in Apollo 13, but if you put your hand all the way out and you put your thumb up, at all times you're able to cover the entire full moon just with your thumbnail it's pretty wild but you got kind of always like visualize the moon as being this really big thing in the sky and really a lot of the time it's uh it's just as big as your thumbnail at, at arm's reach which is kind of a trip but it was kind of a it was cool to see the super moon that night it was really bright it was cool uh to kind of watch around and uh kind of look at how it was illuminating the forest and the trees and the mountains and stuff around me that was kind of nice to see cold that night though man i tell you so i have a 15 degree sleeping bag and that's great 15 degrees is fine um but and 15 degrees really is is uh more than adequate for most circumstances that i end up being in during the summertime um where it's i don't know it's just not too big of a concern about how cold it gets but when it says 15 degrees it really means you're going to be comfortable down to somewhere around 35 degrees but anywhere under 30 degrees is a pretty uncomfortable experience i think it means you're going to stay alive until it's about 15 degrees so if it were me again buying something for maybe i don't know a more heavy three season uh, camping experience most of the time probably a lot of the nights out that i do even though i like to go at all times of year, it seems like the majority of nights I go out are during the summer months or, you know, during like pretty fair weather uh, seasons. Um, but if I were going to buy again, which I'm, I'm going to try and get like a two or three sleeping bag system going. Um, if I was going to buy again, I'd probably get a zero degree or maybe a negative 15 degree. You know, I could really use the warmth because, man, what I noticed is even if it was just a little bit down to what would have been probably maybe, I don't know, 29 or something like that. It was, you know, it was a bit below freezing. Who knows how, how cold it really was. It was only like an elevation of 2,500 feet. And it was a canyon. I thought it was a clear night, but I thought it would be relatively sheltered. And yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of ice on my window when I woke up. And it was a cold, cold night to uh, sit through too. So, um, so yeah, that 15 degree bag was, uh, was just holding up out there. Uh, but yeah, if I was going to go again, I think they have like a zero degree bag. And then down below that, they have like a negative 15 and like maybe like a negative 30 degree bag. Negative 30 sounds like a, a real warm uh, like down bag. So I think mine's a synthetic bag. 
they talk about this sometimes where there's like differences in the, the thermal insulation qualities of the material that your sleeping bag is made out of. And I think that um, the for it was it was an improvement actually, you know, above what I don't know whatever cotton we were using. For a while they were using uh, wool stuff, which was pretty smart. That that works really well to to be an insulating material, and it doesn't. Uh, or it works well with moisture and stuff, and all the other things we know about. Merino wool is really cool. Everybody knows about that kind of stuff. But um, but th- we we had like you know those really terrible big cotton sleeping bags way back. Those were rough. They and I don't know if they were really even that insulating. Then they switched over to those synthetic materials, um, which is probably all oil based. Does that sound right? Like a petroleum-based, uh, like plastics product that was made out of synthetics. I think that's how they spin up a lot of those, uh, those. Well, I don't know. They're just those synthetic types of materials that they're making these nylons out of. Um, so I think that was how a lot of this uh, this synthetic stuff had been made. Um, but really, I think what they they talk about being the superior insulator is uh, down, and that's what I'd hope to try and find as a another zero degree or, or negative 15 degree sleeping bag would be um, a negative 15 degree down bag um, which is normally a bit more expensive you know when you're looking around at the price points for these different sleeping bags if you're uh, trying to get into some colder weather camping stuff what you're going to find is that those name brand or you know or not even name brand necessarily but just a a, uh, a bespoke manufacturer for uh, quality technical outdoors product is going to be very expensive uh, and so that's where you're going to find i don't know well, you know three three ninety nine for a sleeping bag two ninety nine four ninety nine six ninety nine i've seen like a lot of pretty expensive prices out there i think nemo makes some bags that are looking pretty cool that i've seen uh, recommended a few times i've heard of big agnes they make tents most of the time though right they're a tent company aren't they yeah Stone Glacier is one that I keep uh, hearing kind of pop up here and there now. Um, for some sense, Marmot I think has some bags. Um, REI is uh, is you know uh, a a retailer of recreational equipment. Uh, <laughs> they're closed right now though, so I don't even know if you could get an order from anyone like that. But uh, but they have some bags. I think that's where my synthetic bag was from uh, that I've been using for the last I don't know seven years or so. Uh, so that's it's been fine, but I also uh, tested out the sleeping mat I got. I got a new uh, Thermarest sleeping mat. I know, big news! It's pretty exciting, guys. Stay tuned. Uh, it's a uh, um, yeah, it's a it's a larger sleeping mat than I had before, but it's a uh, it's a coated one with the I think it's kind of like I don't know, if it's ballistic nylon, but it's that nylon coating over it, so it's not just the the rubber mat at the base of it. Uh, so you can throw it on the ground or on the I don't know semi abrasive materials that it would be outside and it's working great i think it's about one inch thick or so it's about 25 inches wide at the shoulder point and it's long enough to uh i fit my whole body which is uh probably a new one for me so yeah i got a solid camp mat i think for the last like three years i've been sleeping on one that goes flat about four hours after you start sleeping so uh, that's kind of nice to swap out. I don't know why I put up with it for so long, really. Shouldn't do that. Uh, sleep is like one of the best things you can get. You know, if you can figure out just like a couple easy things to take care of when you're out camping or out in the woods and stuff, it's it's probably sleep. I mean, that's like the thing that takes, you know, and it's frustrating too because when, like, even this last one I'm talking about, didn't sleep very well, way too cold, 
part of it, you know, enough shelter and uh, enough stuff that was uh, kind of comfortable. But really, as it is, yeah, it's like, oh, I need to. I need to figure out a couple other extra things to kind of throw in there. But yeah, there's just a couple things you can figure out when you're going camping, like how to stay warm or how to be comfortable when uh, you do go or like when you are sleeping is like one of the most important and most, I don't know, effective things you can do to kind of improve the way that a trip goes. Cause like, uh, yeah, I can be like, I don't know, it can be brutal the next day if you don't get any sleep the night before, which is how probably the first half dozen camping trips of the year like you know those first half dozen or so overnights of the year i'm just always kind of groggy and like oh why do i have to get up right now which is sort of how it was wednesday morning when i woke up yeah i popped up and uh, i think it was probably about 5 a.m or so that i that i got up i think it was just about first light um the sun hadn't come up yet but uh but there's a little bit of of light up in the sky and the stars were um were kind of washed out by the blue sky uh, so I hopped up and uh, the fire was out, I think, from the night before, like I was mentioning, how those uh, the sticks had worn out and the coals had started burning down, even I think by the time I was near the end of my last podcast. Uh, so I, I uh, hopped out and the, the back windows were clear. There wasn't any frost on it, but the front window, the windshield was iced over pretty hard, really. It, I mean, it looked like it was, you know, like coated in water and then froze over solid. So it wasn't even just kind of like a, a fluffy bit of white frost or something that had built up on it through fog it just looked like a, a hard coating of of just an ice sheet over the windshield so i thought oh great i don't have an ice scraper or something with me i was thinking ah it's may you know who needs an ice scraper i'm taking a sip of coffee so yeah i don't know i grabbed uh, a box <laughs> i think it was a piece of cardboard out of the back that i could kind of flex around a bit threw that over the windshield tried to run the truck for a bit tried to warm it up it took a while too but uh yeah scraped off some ice scraped off a hole big enough to kind of get started on the drive and then um uh, prepped to take off but yeah i took some photos and stuff around the campsite for a bit first in the morning nice draw in the valley like i was talking about that goes up to that uh that ridge point that you can kind of see off in the distance and uh, i think i could see like the, the fire from the smoke or the smoke from the fire of the neighboring campers over there. I don't know if I'd mentioned it. Well, yeah, I, I definitely did in the last one. How they were they're kind of doing brodies out in the on the road around sunset. I think I got a little clip of it on video, but yeah, it's like four or five of them in these uh, kind of beater late nineties four by four trucks doing spins out in the dirt roads. So looks fun i don't know but they were uh, i think getting getting the fire going and stuff in the morning too or whatever they had going from the night before but you could see a plume of it coming up uh from the the area they would have been camping in over by the uh the creek bed downhill and yeah it was cool i uh, took some photos and stuff that morning walked around kind of cleaned up the camp a little bit uh put the fire stuff out and jumped in the truck uh had that little hole in the ice to see through and then yeah, popped on a podcast and cruised down the road. And so what I was trying to do was uh, was take off down to a couple other spots along the creek uh, while it was still morning and then head down ultimately to um, the area where the lake started to build up. And so kind of how it works is like it kind of flows down the creek and then there's a dam at a point ultimately. And then back right behind the dam is a reservoir where that creek is kind of built up. 
And I guess now is yeah, a body of water out there. So I uh, drove down a ways and took some photographs of the creek and the morning light and some of the water and stuff coming through. I really like that kind of effect of the, the sort of early spring kind of fresh snow melt mountain creek stuff that uh, uh, just sort of looks really crisp and uh, forested and natural. And then I came down a ways further to a bridge that kind of cuts across a span of the creek as it starts to sort of widen out into the reservoir area and it looks like uh, you know a big stretch of calm water out on the edge of the the bridge where I think two different groups that were doing some fishing in the morning and yeah it seems like people are still out it was a busy area up there it was uh, still still definitely a pretty fully populated set of people you know even during this lockdown period there's a bunch of people out there hanging out and fishing I think it was two different different groups at two maybe they were uh, they were all kind of connected but yeah they were they were out there with a couple lines over the bridge and they were I picking up a couple things i think so I, I saw a lady that was pulling up in a little a little blue kayak to the ramp on the first day and on her what is that thing you know when you you run it through the gilling you got the fish and stuff anyway she pulled up uh, with like uh, it was like four or five trout or something on her um, on her in her kayak. I don't know. That's where I'll leave it, I guess. But uh, she pulled up with four or five trout. So I figured the guys, these guys were uh, doing a, a little bit of trout fishing out there, uh, which sounds fun. It's a nice, clear, crisp morning and stuff, like I was saying. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like it would be nice to be out there for a couple hours doing some fishing. Um, and, yeah, it looked like they were they were up to it. They were getting a, a couple things. It was cool, too. I saw an osprey that, uh, that took off, I think, over the – the lake area just at that time and uh, would kind of like pull up at certain spots over the water kind of back flap to hold in the same spot and look underwater and then see if there was something and then i don't know didn't see enough or didn't see a a prime opportunity and then it would kind of swoop off and then take off to a different section of the lake and do it again so i watched that about three or four times tried to take a couple pictures of the area which are nice too. I like the the photographs that I got that morning it's got to got a nice a nice look to it and really you know a lot of the time the 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 photographs really look uh, a lot better when you just select the right time of day to be somewhere, uh, which, you know, is obvious. But just the types of colors and the, the types of saturation and dynamics that you get and the, the look of a pretty simple, you know, set of trees and water, it just comes off a lot better when it's uh, it's just the right type of light. It's really amazing, too, to kind of see what differences it makes when it's a clouded day or a sunny day or a morning or an evening or midday. Really, it seems like the dynamics of the light change so much that you can get like a totally different look in the photo, um, which is always kind of interesting to pay attention to and uh, sort of see how that how that goes, what changes about it, and, um, and sort of how that affects the photographs that you're making. I mean, you can have you know something cool at any time of day, but it's kind of cool to figure out uh, how it works for you or how it works or what I'm trying to do is how how to figure out how how it works for my photographs and what I'm trying to do. Um, which is nice. I don't know. It was cool going out there and uh, and climbing around the creeks and stuff in the morning and taking a couple of photos and watering osprey and going over to the lake area. I was trying to work on similar stuff to what I've done before, but kind of that mirrored look of the really calm water as it spreads across the lake in the morning and then the reflection of the, the bright blue kind of pre-sunlit sky. Or how is it, you know, like before the sun is actually up over the horizon, it, there's not a lot of intensity. So it's just kind of a softer blue glow in a lot of ways. 
and then there's still enough illumination that you can see the greens and the trees and sort of the soft calm water in the morning before it gets kind of agitated through the rest of the day so nice uh, kind of peaceful looks to the the photos and sort of the, the natural stuff that i like to go kind of capture you know really ultimately though uh, there's some nice stuff out there and i was really like uh, happy to kind of photograph some of the some of what I was looking for, but I was also, I was also frustrated in the area too. I think there was a, um, there was, it was a little more choked off than what I normally like. Like, uh, there wasn't as many opportunities as I had hoped for. I did try and, you know, utilize the ones that I found, but there wasn't as many opportunities as I had hoped for, for kind of an opened up uh, wide scene that you could, uh, set up uh, a landscape photo and there wasn't a lot of elements to really work with. It was just sort of, um, Oh, you know, that's like some rolling Hills off to a green, hill so <laughs> so sometimes i'm trying to find some stuff that's a little bit more uh dynamic in its look than that uh but it was fun though even as it is anyway uh though i'm trying to i think maybe uh, like i was mentioning on the last one i got stuck and turned around by the snow and i didn't want to have to deal with uh, <laughs> any of that right now uh but in the next weeks and stuff i want to get up to mount jefferson or uh, mount washington or a couple of these other wilderness areas that uh that have a few uh, kind of visual um, landmarks that would be uh, worth taking an ob observation of. Another sip of coffee. You know, this other thing I want to bring up, maybe I can talk about it here. Where is it? I think that it was... Um, on Oregon Live, so there's the Oregonian, the Oregon newspaper here out of Portland, I suppose, right? Or is it the state newspaper? I don't know. I think it's the the Portland one. But uh, at OregonLive.com, there was a, a news article that I was going to check out. It says, what outdoor spaces have reopened in Oregon, which are still closed? Published on May 8th. And uh, I was going to check out a couple little pieces in here, but it does a good job. If you If you look this one up. It does a good enough job, though it also has a little bit of sly language. And what I'll tell you, kind of like I've been mentioning the last couple of times, there is a bit of language that is meant for the initiated in this sort of thing. So it'll say you can't do things. Sometimes you can do those things. Uh, so you, you might have to check with uh, each kind of local area to see uh, what your access to the lands are in that area. But, but this article is the first one that I've seen in a while that actually goes through it seems to make a comment a little bit more specifically about uh, different sections of land that are going to be open and, and what types of facilities are going to reopen in that area and what are what is not going to. You know, like a, I don't know, a visitor center is going to stay closed, but maybe like the restrooms will be open or, or all of that sort of stuff is closed, but the trails are open. So let's see what we got. I was thinking, it says Oregon State Parks are going to gradually reopen. And I bet that's going to take a while. It says all campgrounds are going to remain closed. I was looking at wildlife refuge areas, like the the one that's south of where we are. I think there's one. There's another one north of us, too. Um, those are, I think their visitor centers are listed as being closed. But the lands themselves are open. So if there's like a, uh, a parking lot area where people will congregate, they might have gated that off. But the land itself is open to do hiking, I suppose. So you can do that still. And in Oregon, uh, there's no there's no mask requirement as issued by the governor. I think there is a mask consideration request that has been made. 
and private businesses can add that as a requirement to do business with them. But uh, outside, you can choose to walk around without one. I think there was a mention, the you know, there's a mention from Dr. Fauci saying that if you were in an outdoor area, it might not be necessary to wear a mask any longer, which I don't know. We'll see. It, yeah, it it could help. It's fortunate that in this area, at least, there's a, a lower caseload than probably a lot of other parts of the world. I think it says over in the Oregon coast, which has been kind of a hot spot when it was talking about um, land access. A lot of those beach towns didn't really want to have to deal with people from Portland shooting over and uh, taking a beach vacation and getting them sick. I think was sort of the idea or overrunning their facilities and um, and their uh, ability to handle it. So I think a lot of those things had still been shut down. But uh, I think there is something that's saying that like beaches are technically open in Oregon but all public access points managed by the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department are closed until further notice. Well, Cannon Beach has banned visitors through at least June 2nd. Seaside has entirely closed its beaches to the public. Tillamook County has closed all beach access points and parking lots. Lincoln County, from Lincoln City to Yahats, has temporarily banned short-term vacation rentals. County parks have reopened in Coos and Douglas counties, though some are only open for residents and some public health restrictions still apply. Columbia River Gorge. Virtually all recreation areas in the Columbia River Gorge remain closed, including state parks in both Oregon and Washington. All U.S. Forest Service lands in the Columbia Gorge is closed, including wilderness areas. Really? Wow, that's one of the most strict closures that there are. It must be to really just control like the population of Portland going out and doing hiking, which is strange. Man, if you want to do a two-hour drive, you got everything open to you, but less than that, it's closed. Some recreation sites are still open at the Bonneville, uh, the Dalles, and the John Day Dams. Some recreation sites are open at the Bonneville, the Dalles, and the John Day Dams. Well, at least those are open. Everybody go recreate at the dams. <laughs> Why are those open? <laughs> hey, everybody, let's go to the John Day Dam. The recreation center is open. Mount Hood. All developed recreation areas on Mount Hood are currently closed to the public, including all trailheads, boat ramps, day-use sites, snow parks, and campgrounds. Forest service roads and dispersed areas are open to the public, as well as trails not accessed by developed trail heads yeah so that was one of those those tickets where the governor has closed trail heads oh trail heads okay well so that in a in a strange technical way it means that the trails are open if you are able to park off the trailhead and then access the trail by going back country right you know cutting over to the side and then getting onto the trailhead by going around or getting onto the trail by going around the trailhead, you are following the law. Ski resorts are now allowed to reopen. Hey, great. May 15th, we're get, getting some skiing. Though so far only Timberline Lodge has announced it will do so. For now, Timberline Lodge remains closed. Oh, okay, well, you know, there you go. National Forest, here's the ticket. 
All developed recreation areas in most of Oregon and Washington's national forests are closed to the public. Recreation areas. Okay, so that means like a developed kind of structured site. Or does it? What does it say here? Including all trailheads, boat ramps, day-use sites, snow parks, and campgrounds, the U.S. Forest Service has announced it will begin a phased reopening of those sites, though no timeline has been made public. Forest Service roads and dispersed areas are open to the public, as well as trails not accessed by developed trailheads. Hunting and fishing is allowed in undeveloped areas. Well, there you go. So really, yeah, so this is one of those things that is, uh, uh, how would you say, like a dog whistle to the initiated. As that says to you, or, well, maybe not you, you're probably the initiated, right? You're listening to this podcast. That's the secrets. So yeah, when it's talking about that stuff, it's kind of a, a little bit of a, I don't know, a layman's trick or something. I think it's saying like, oh yeah, it's closed, like recreation sites are closed, or trailheads are closed, or visitor centers are closed, like... That's what anybody cares about when they're going out to a wilderness area. So it might mean that a bathroom's closed or that it's not been cleaned. But uh, if you're going for a remote or dispersed forest experience, those are all still as open as they ever would have been because I think they're your public lands. You know, you have access to those kind of places. So that's where it's saying like uh, dispersed camping, hunting and fishing is still available. Um, Forest service roads are still open to be traveled on. But really when it's saying like a a recreation site is closed, I think it's talking about a developed forest service campground, a developed forest service like bathroom or day use site, like it was saying a snow park site where you'd have a a parking lot and a congregation of people or a trailhead site where there's a parking lot and a congregation of people. Normally those places that have like a some kind of day use parking pass, you know, give two dollars to an envelope and put it in a box or something. Uh, those kind of places, I think, still remain closed, but those lands are still open. And uh, it is a little bit more complicated kind of on the coastal side or the Cascade side. But as soon as you get out into eastern Oregon, a lot of those Forest Service lands, you know, or the, the, the National Forest land or BLM land is just so wide open as in there's just like it's just it's just wide open landscape that uh, it's it's pretty accessible. You can go to a lot of places out there um, like the John Day Dam. Go hang out there. Let's see. Back to this. It says the Umpqua National Forest will reopen most of its boat ramps and trailheads on May 9th. The trailhead to Umpqua Hot Springs remains closed. Did we talk about Umpqua Hot Springs the last time? Some remaining closed. I guess those hot springs are probably, ugh, man, that'd be gross. Like, hey, I wonder wonder if the person in this hot spring before me had COVID. Ugh, that's going to be a great thought for the next year. Uh, Umpqua National Forest, so May 9th, so that means it's already open for like two days now. People can trailhead and and boat ramp all they want to. Wow. I wonder how that's going to do for like river recreation stuff. That's just kind of interesting how it's working. Let's see, what do we have? There's like some other stuff. National Parks. Crater Lake National Park is currently closed to the public as well as John Day Fossil Beds, Lewis and Clark National Historic Park. Tours at the Oregon Caves National Monument. No, Tours at the Oregon Caves National Monument are closed, but hiking trails remain open. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, the Oregon Caves down outside of like Cave Junction in Southern Oregon. I've been there a few times for field trips in like the seventh grade and whatnot. 
Really, I should go again as an adult. I don't really have like a clear memory of how cool it might be. I think it was a, I mean, it's a national monument, right? It's got to be something cool. Uh, so yeah, the tours are closed. I remember that was kind of the thing I was always bummed about. It's like the lava, the lava caves you can go to in Eastern Oregon. Uh, those are open. You just you just drive up and walk in it yourself, and you should bring a flashlight. You know, it's like uh, it's it's up to you. The 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 caves at the caves in outside of Cave Junction um, at the Oregon Caves. I don't know. It, it, it was just too on rails. It was just uh, too much of like a forty five minute tour, and then you leave, uh, which I've never really preferred, even as a kid. But I should go uh, not be in a kid because I bet they they treat you with kid gloves when you're. Uh, Ten. Hiking trails remain open out there. Well, that's good. <laughs> Metro parks, Oregon State Forest, day use areas, campgrounds, and restrooms are closed in Oregon State Forests. Though dispersed camping, trails, and target shooting remain open. State forest officials have asked that people delay travel as much as possible. Let me check that again. State forest officials have asked that people delay travel as much as possible. Have they asked that? Maybe they have out there. I don't know if they have the right to do that. Again, I think that's kind of speaking to the uninitiated in that sentence. So I think if you have a hunting license or a fishing license or you're actively participating in a planned event, I think like there's a bear season still, turkey season, maybe that's end, ended. But I think there was like a, a spring bear hunt that had opened up and there's open, open season and whatever else. And I think that those were... Uh, dispersed experiences like that were still acceptable. So I don't know if the, they have the right to ask you to not attend your public lands. It's sort of one of those things I'm talking about again where it's like, well, but they're not in charge of it. They're in charge of managing it for you, but they're not in charge of it. Wildlife refuges. Wildlife refuges managed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service remain open to the public, it says though parking lots, access points, and visitor centers may be closed. That was kind of what I experienced when I went out to the Finley Wildlife Refuge south of Corvallis here, and it's a big area where uh, like Canadian geese uh, and elk and birds of other types uh, rest up, I guess, during the winter. It's just sort of, I guess, technically it would have reopened for uh, uh, more open access to the public on April 1st, but due to the coronavirus stuff it had been kind of closed and i think at first they were putting up some signs that said like hey the governor said that this is closed but th i don't think they said that so i think uh, really it was just that the the visitor center that was a section of that though no one really cared i mean i don't know i want to see the wildlife i don't want to see the visitor center uh that that visitor center was closed they'd also closed a gate that goes to well it's really just a road that drives through but i guess that would go to a more congregated parking lot area so that had been closed but people have been parking on the outside of that and then walking in because they have right to their public land which is cool yeah you can go in there and it's a beautiful spot you can kind of hike around through there there's a bunch of trails and uh it's a pretty remote area or you know just as it is there's not a lot of people that are uh trying to occupy it. and given that it's a wildlife refuge there's just a density of wildlife that's uh, collected there uh, that's pretty cool to check out. You know, there's a lot of, I think that's where we saw an elk a couple weeks ago. Before that, we'd seen a coyote walking around out there. We kind of eyeballed a bunch of bald eagles and a bunch of hawks. And, um, what else has been out there? A lot of stuff. What was out there a couple weeks ago? That biplane was out there a couple weeks ago. That's where I was checking that out. 
So yeah, wildlife refuges, I guess, remain open to the public for uh, a lot of access points. I was looking at that. There's like no wildlife refuge land uh, allocated in Southern Oregon as I was kind of looking through there. I think there's one just south of here and one just north of here near Salem. Uh, and then there's like a bunch along the coast. There's a bunch over in Eastern Oregon, a, a lot up along the Columbia River, but there's nothing at all in Southern Oregon. Shoot. No wildlife down there, I guess, huh? BLM land. I think we're wrapping it up here. This is near the end. <laughs> Thanks for reading an article. Uh, BLM land. Most day-use sites and many restrooms on Bureau of Land Management land are closed to the public. As well as all campgrounds, visitors are instructed to contact local BLM offices for specific closure details. The Yaquina Head Outstanding Natural Area and Oregon Trail Interpretive Center remain closed. Well, it sounds like they're saying that it's closed. Many restrooms on Bureau of Land Management land are closed to the public as well as campgrounds. Okay. Yeah, so I think that when they're talking about campgrounds and restrooms, I think, that again, they're talking about the uh, developed locations that would be at uh, like congregation points that would be kind of more similar to where you'd, uh, I don't know, it would be like, you know, just like a, a campground kind of a thing. But any of these dispersed locations are still available to the public. And, and when I was up on the, like I was saying, when I was out into the national forest land, as soon as you get to the area where you're in national forest and camping's allowed off the road, there's these fire rings and campsites built up just off the side of the road. And those were all loaded up. All of them had uh, an RV or a fifth wheel or a trailer or a truck and tent and stuff set up uh, with a bunch of wood and people hanging out there for what seemed like uh, a setup for three or four or five days or something. Uh, so it seemed like there's a lot of locations that are like that across Oregon. Earlier in the month, early in April, when I went out to eastern Oregon, I was checking out an area to camp out there that uh, is normally way remote. You know, you'd only see people kind of backed up in there during a hunting season or something. And it was loaded up, you know, just early April and it was loaded out. And I think it's because out of all the millions of people out there and all these people that have uh, been set aside as non-essential workers with a lot of time. I mean, you know, for millions and millions of them, they're staying home. And for (laughs) maybe, I don't know. 80,000 people or something, they're all taking their trucks and going out, and that 80,000 people is enough to fill up the 5,000 good spots that seem to be spread across some of that remote land out there. So it's kind of funny to to see sort of where people are lining up and uh, how things are going, and, and then I'm one of them too, right? You know, I got the time, and I'm trying to go out and uh, trying to check out some of these still open areas. So it's cool that we're getting to phase one of the reopening process. Hopefully people are... Uh, in a good place for that as we're coming into the the middle of may and the memorial day weekend and uh, some of the kind of onset of the summer season stuff i think that uh, it'll be good to have a more reopened kind of vibe of it going on than uh man could you imagine just staying closed through memorial day or you couldn't go out you couldn't do some river stuff or some park stuff or some land stuff any of that kind of outdoor stuff that i'd want to do it'd be terrible if it was uh if it was shut down to me so i'm glad it's open and available to us and uh yeah thanks for uh going through and looking at some land access that we have across oregon as we start to reopen into phase one thanks for i guess listening through some sleeping through a cold night and taking photos in the morning stories from the camping trip the other day talk about the supermoon a little bit i don't know covered a bit of stuff so 
I think we'll probably start wrapping it up there. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. You can see more of my stuff at billynewmanphoto.com where I put up uh, a couple blog posts here and there, some ideas about some photography stuff. A bunch of these podcasts are up there and uh, other ways you can get in contact with me to do some business with me or, or I guess talk about some photo stuff with me if you're interested. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot. I'm going to keep enjoying my cup of coffee on this Monday morning and start getting some other stuff done. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I will talk to you again next time.